Another year has come and gone, a chance for something new. So many birds to see and places to go and lots of fun things to do. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts in anything that we discuss that might be controversial. I want you to remember, there are our own opinions and they might be different from yours. So, we're here. We're New in 2024. Year, 2024, we made it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, let's mention New Year's goals real quick. Yeah, so, I don't remember what mine were last year, but I've got a new one this year, and I know it's different from last year, because okay. last year was something nature-related. And, and wasn't I, it to be a better naturalist? It might have been a better naturalist, I think. Um, Do you think you accomplished that if it was? If it was, I probably worked towards that. Yeah. Um, this year, I would really, and I've already started working on it, um, getting up in the morning, every morning, and going and working out, and then uh, making sure that I actually study and try to retain Spanish, which I was doing a little bit in 2023, um, took, took a class and kind of worked a little bit, but it's I, it's neither one of them are bird-related. They're just, they're just life-related in general. Like, I want to be healthier and all that, so. Okay. And I have been working out already, so that's... There you go. There we go. And you? What do you got? Uh, so, in 2024, my goal is to read 20 books, which I feel like sounds like a big number and everything, but man, when I've been seeing everybody's Facebook posts about what they did in 2023, some of these people are reading like 170 books, and like 20 to me sounds like kind <laughs> of a lot, and I would be happy to read 20. Is that is that a book every other day? About, Yeah. There, I don't know, picture books maybe. I don't know. No, no. Some I, people, some people are just read, spend a lot of time reading, and, and can read really fast too. I know. So. Yeah. So um, I know it's not as uh, high a goal as some folks are with reading books, but I would like at some point in the year to you know be able to set aside enough time mm -hmm. to be able to read twenty books. So yeah. that's my goal. All right. Well, yours is actually a measurable, um, and attain, a measurable, attainable, and uh, whatever the third one is for what goals are supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, mine is just kind of amorphous, uh, work out more and, um, practice, Spanish. practice more Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Not, not measurable. It's attainable, but it's not measurable. So who knows if I'll actually accomplish it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got to remember those rules with goal setting. You have to set yourself up for a yeah, success. Set though. yourself up for success. Exactly. Yeah. So we hope if you, um, have a, a new year's goal, maybe it's bird related. So we'll post about it on Facebook mm -hmm. and you can mention what your goal is and, you know, maybe help you stay accountable. I know that's one of the hard things about new year's goals is being accountable to actually attain that thing. So, um, is that the, is that the third one accountable? Is that, uh, it's attainable, it's measurable, and you're held accountable? Is that what the third one is? I have no idea. Oh, I feel like there's, that doesn't sound right, though. Okay. Well, right. anyways, moving anyways, on. moving on. So we want to thank uh, some folks for buying us a coffee. Uh, for this episode, we wanted to thank, I'm going to go with Jobip. Jobip? Yep. Um, it was a username of sorts. So <laughs> I'm not exactly <laughs> sure who it was, but thank you so much for buying us coffee and everyone else that has. So up till now, if you'd like to support us, you can go on to our um, Buy Me a Coffee mm -hmm. and the link for that is in the show notes. And we actually just um, also started an affiliate link for BirdFi. So yeah. if you go onto our website, there's a link there. If you click on that, and you purchase a bird fi bird feeder, then we get a percentage of that purchase if you purchase it through our link. So <laughs> if you've been looking for one, um, you might do that. And any you know thing we make off of that just goes to supporting the show. Yeah. All right. So you had you have you have two other podcasts. You had one come out last week, and then you've got one coming out next week. Last week was Bird Nerd Book Club. Yep. What'd you have? Who'd you have on? Yeah, so I had Trish O'Kane, whose book, Birding to Change the World, is coming out soon. It's a fantastic read, and, you know, we're I was reading it when we were in Gambia, and <laughs> I kept, like, pulling Eric aside and be like, I just read all this stuff, you know? Like, it was it was really a gripping book. We, we, we had a lot of drive time in Senegal, at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's a fantastic read. I hope you check out, you know, the interview with her, <laughs> because she's fantastic, and I know you'll enjoy her book, too when that comes out and women birders happy hour coming out next week yes and that's with laura's on awesome cool so we're going a couple places yes soon. we are so um next month actually san diego bird festival there's still spots left for our trips there's still spots left for a couple of the other trips as well i think most of it's pretty much filling up but there's there's still some stuff available san diego bird festival in at the end of february 
Uh, Spring Chirp at the end of April down in the Rio Grande Valley. That's super exciting. Boutique festival. We're going to be guiding at that. So if you want to go to a spring festival in the Rio Grande Valley, that's that's the one to do. Um, and then in September, Hannah is going to Brazil. And we have somebody that's going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But uh, Amazon Birding Expedition Brazil for Women with uh, Birding is the World Brazil. And she's here to help us announce the Bird Nerd Giveaway. Yes. Well, for January's Bird Nerd Giveaway, we'd like to introduce our friend Maida, who owns Birding is the World Brazil. Maida, would you please tell us a little bit about your company? Well, yes, of course. And thank you for, for having me here uh, today. Um, Birding is the World Brazil. It's a company. We take uh, birders from the whole world to Brazil to watch birds. And we are based in Denver, Colorado. And we take people to everywhere in the country, uh, to the Northeast, Southeast, to the Pantanal, Amazon. And we are also committed with uh, local, with the community in Brazil. So all of our guides, for example, in Brazil, they are Brazilians. They are biologists. Some, some of them are ornithologists. And they know a lot of about birds in Brazil. And all of them speak English uh, fluently. And also, we have all, all, all our partners are, are locals, See, from the, the restaurant and from the, um, the, the guides and also the, the, the lodges. And we, I'm here, happy. I'm happy to be here and invite everybody to go to Brazil with us. Awesome. And so what are, what are some highlights? What are, what are some of the expectations, the thing, things that people can see that you really want to see when you go, go on a trip with you guys to Brazil? Well, Brazil is a really big country, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we have a lot of birds there. We have, um, Brazil has uh, six different kinds of natural habitats. The most famous is the Amazon rainforest, of course, but mm -hmm. we also have the Brazilian savanna called Cerrado, we have the, uh, the dry forest in the Northeast, the um, Pampas in the South, the um, Atlantic rainforest. And we have a lot of great birds to be seen, like the, the, um, the birds of prey. We have the harpy eagle. It's one of the birds that people really wanna see with us when they come with us. Actually, we will have a tour just, for, just to see the, the, the harpy eagle nest for the next year. Um, we have many Cotingas, tanagers in the Atlantic rainforest. For example, we have, um, the mannequins, um, and we have uh, many birds. We have 2000, almost 2000 species of birds in Brazil and 300 of them are endemic. So there's a lot of great birds to be seen in Brazil. So, so it kind of sounds like definitely more than one trip is required to... To of really course. get the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We we are going everywhere in Brazil. Uh, for example, we have a, a group that went with us to the um, northeast just to see the Araripe mannequin. I don't know if you guys heard about, about that bird, but it's really, really rare bird and only can be seen in this tiny place in one state in the northeast. So... To enjoy, really enjoy the country, you have to, for sure, go more than one time. So what trips are you doing this year to Brazil? We're going to, um, the. we have a tour for uh, the Atlantic Rainforest. It's a tour, 12 days tour, to see the, the endemic birds in the southeast. Um, also, they have a lot of tanagers there. A lot of people like tanagers. So uh, we have that place to go. We have the, the Pantanal and Atlantic, the Amazon rainforest together combined. This The Pantanal tour is to see a lot of birds, of course, but also to see the jaguars because Pantanal is the largest wetland in the world. It's uh, 10 times larger than Everglades in Florida. So a lot of people like to go there to see the birds, but also the, 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 the jaguars. And we have a tour in the um, um, Brazilian um, savanna, we call Cerrado. It's a place where you can see a lot of different birds. Uh, we also have the big chances to see other animals like the man wolf, uh, the giant ant 
plant bird uh, uh, and eater. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we and also we have a lot of people come to us also to to they have um, they want to customize their tours. So a lot of people come to us looking for something different and customize it to them. Very cool. And then we're going together in September to yeah. go on the international or the, the women's tour mm -hmm. that'll yes. be there. So what can we, what can I expect on that trip? Well, that trip is, will be amazing. We are planning to do some, a lot of nice things there. We have the, the cock of the rock. We have the, um, the, um, uh, Captain Bird, the musician Ren, that is one of the birds that I really expecting to be seen. And also we're gonna visit the um, Pink Dolphin Sanctuary, the um, tribes, the indigenous tribe that live in the middle of the, the, the nature. So it's gonna be a really nice tour to explore a lot of different things, a lot of birds. Yeah, but it also sounds like a lot of culture too, and a lot of animals. So, it I'm really looking forward, and I'm mm -hmm. sorry you can't go, Eric. But I'm really <laughs> no, looking forward to to getting. No, my husband. Know. Yeah, he say the same. Oh, I want to go. Can I? No. Yeah. Okay. Next time you can go. Not this time. This time. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Me too. Well, um, so for this giveaway, Maida was very generous in offering a gift certificate to her company, Birding is the World Brazil. And the deadline for that is Tuesday, January 23rd. So Eric, what do folks have to do? All right. So what you have to do, you have to like our Facebook page, Hannah and Eric Go Birding. You have to like the um, social media page for Birding is the World Brazil. And also, you're going to have to comment on one of our upcoming posts. So in the next uh, day or so, we'll be posting uh, a post that asks you a really important question. Where do you want to go or where do you want to revisit in 2024? This could be someplace as simple as your backyard, nearby park, selling ponds right behind your house, or some awesome far-off destination like Brazil, New Zealand, South Africa, wherever. Zaxenbog. Um, and all eligible entries will be randomly shuffled and then a, and then a winner will be selected on January 23rd to win the gift card. Yeah. So thank you so much, Maida, for that. Of course, I'm so happy to be here with you guys and to be able to offer this discount giveaway to the participants. Yeah. So do you have a place in 2024 that you're looking to, forward to going to? Oh, yeah, I I have a lot of places in mind to go, but uh, I'm really, really excited going to the Amazon rainforest uh, next year, next September. Actually, we are sold out. <laughs> Everybody, um, the, all the spots are, are booked, booked, but I'm excited to go there with you and with all the women. Yeah, me too. Eric, do you have a place that you're looking forward to? So I am hoping that I can work something out and not necessarily on the trip, but maybe the same time as your trip, get to Brazil. Um if not, uh, then I really look forward to, the, over this next couple of weeks at least, um, exploring our backyard. Is our, those chestnut back chickadees are amazing. Well, yeah. and I was just reading through um, the description of the trip that we're going to go on in Brazil. And I it caught my eye that there's a paradise there with over 100 waterfalls, lakes, streams, caverns, and grottos called Land of the Waterfalls. Oh, man. So I'm really looking forward to going there because I love waterfalls, but also <laughs> seeing a bunch of new tanager species. So I'm yes. really excited about that. Yes, you're going to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing everyone's entry into the contest. So we're also here to tell you about a place that's very, very cold. Yes. So the the, the Maida's uh, travel to a nice and warm place, that's that might be appealing to some people. Maybe maybe you want to travel in the winter and you go somewhere cold. And this is this is where Zaxenbog comes in. Yeah, so one of the things that just historic about us, one of the things that really drew me to starting a podcast was my experience working in the Rio Grande Valley. Mm -hmm. So Eric and I lived there from 2013 to 2015, and I was still like really green to the whole birding thing. It was my first permanent job at Benson Rio Grande Valley State Park, and I just landed into this job that, you know, really feel like it changed the trajectory of our lives. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, really helped us solidify like what birding is in our minds and, you know, just, we learned so much. Mm -hmm. And 
a lot of the people that came to the park that I worked at, um, they were way more advanced birders and had all of this like institutional knowledge and like experience going into it. 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, some people of birding and going different places and meeting different people and just seeing things a lot of a lot of different places in the U.S. that we'd never even heard of. And I was in my early twenties at the time and had really only birded back home in Portland and didn't know how vast birding was. Mm-hmm. And so to you know just have this experience with all these people, I just soaked all of their experiences up and listened to all these places that they mentioned, like Big Ben, Bosque del Apache National Wildlife Refuge, and of course Zaxenbog was another location that people would mention, and I I didn't really understand what it was, mm-hmm. and the whole thing sounded so incredible, but also like unattainable to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like it was kind of an amorphous thought of like, oh well, yeah, we 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 spent the winter, we birded Zaxenbog. And it was just like, okay, well, that was as much. So, sometimes they, they'd mention great gray owls or northern hawk owls, but generally it would just be like, oh, yeah, I, I birded, I spent two weeks at Saxon Bogger. They, they would just kind of like offhandedly talk about it as just a place they would go. And multiple people, not just like one or two, like a lot of people would mention that that's, that's a destination they go to. And it was just kind of like, well, how? Yeah. Why? What is it? What 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 about this place is a thing in this place? Exactly. And it was like Hannah said, institutional knowledge. Yeah, and it it really sounded like a mystery, you know, the like Eric said, like an amorphous thing. It's mm-hmm. like it's a location, but I didn't really know a whole lot about it. Couldn't really, you know, f- quite figure it out. And so it really mulled around in my head for a long time. And when we decided to start this podcast, I really wanted to go there to to try to figure it out. So then we can yeah. help others, you know, figure it out too. For sure. And so we did do an episode a couple years ago about our experience going to Zaxenbog. Mm-hmm. Um, we have received a lot of correspondence from people asking questions about, about Zaxim. About Zaxim. And so um, Sparky, who is the executive director of Friends of Zaxenbog, he and us, you know, we've been in contact about different things throughout the years. And we thought this was a perfect opportunity to talk with him about mm-hmm all of the cool things that the friends are doing, but then just, you know, kind of demystifying some of the things about the bog itself. Yeah. So it's, you've, you've still got at, at the time that this is coming out, you still got two more months or so of good quote unquote, good winter weather to be going <laughs> to, uh, to Zach Sim and seeing all the different things that we talk about with, with uh, Sparky and the things that we saw when we went there, but it's, and so we thought that's, Oh, that's perfect opportunity. We'll release this in the winter. People can, if you're still making winter plans, you don't have anywhere to go in the middle of winter when it's 30 below zero. Like this is, this is a place to go. Or if you want to experience what 30 below zero feels like. For, <laughs> or 40 below zero. I mean, if, if you're, you know, an Oregonian like us, who's never been in like anything under 20 degrees. <laughs> But it's definitely an incredible experience, and Sparky joined us to tell you more about it. Well, we went to Zaxxon Bog in Minnesota a couple years ago and just had a fantastic time, and I think about it constantly, especially when it's winter, and I want to go see, you know, some cool winter birds. Especially when we get around Valentine's Day. Yeah, because we did spend Valentine's Day (laughs) in a landfill in Wisconsin, as most people do. Um, So we wanted to have Sparky join us today, who is the executive director of the Friends of Zaxxon Bog, uh, to tell us more about Zaxxon, because I know know folks have a lot of questions about it and yeah. it's such a cool place we want everyone to go and visit but first off sparky would you please tell us about yourself oh thanks guys you know and i i gotta say first of all uh, if you're new to this hannah and eric go birding podcast you gotta you know just subscribe stay on top of it because i've been i've listened to every single episode i will say even before you guys came to sex Zimbog. And uh, there's so few birding podcasts out there that uh, it floated to the top. And I, I've been a, a fan ever since. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm up here in northern Minnesota. And I've been a birder since I was 14. And um, I got in it through beer can collecting. Um, <laughs> I was... Uh, you know, just a kid growing up in the suburbs of Minneapolis, and I collected everything, you know, beer cans, bottle caps, baseball cards, barbed wire, you know, and that was just the bees. And one day I looked out my window, and there was this crazy bird out the window, and it had spots and stripes and 
yellow and black. And my parents had a little golden guy. This was in the 70s, not to date myself, but opened it up and found it. And it was a yellow shafted flicker. And I was like, what? And I'm like, it's a woodpecker. I couldn't believe it. And so I started basically just collecting bird sightings. And um, yeah, that was when I was 14. And uh, that's, uh, well, let's just say well over 40 years ago. So um, I uh, have been a birder ever since, naturalist. Uh, I came up to Duluth, uh, which is about the best birding spot in Minnesota. And the Pock Ridge was here, and I knew Sac Zimbog was here. And uh, so college was secondary. <laughs> But uh, became a biologist, naturalist, um, and since then, um, been doing that and publishing, and uh, now a YouTuber. But Sac Zimbog kind of entered my life right when I moved to Duluth, and 1981. And uh, Kim Eckert, who's kind of the bird guru of Minnesota, took a group up there, and in that day, there was really nobody birding up there, and you know, saw my second great gray owl ever and definitely hooked. So I'm still in northern Minnesota and uh, now the the director of Sag Zimbog, Friends of Sag Zimbog. Nice. So can you, can you, you said Zach Zimbog was already a thing and existed, but people weren't really birding the location when you got there. Can you kind of give us a little bit of insight about how the bog became a thing for people to go visit, be became a location that's sought after? Yeah, um, I, I tell people, have you heard the one about the traveling preacher? And this is kind of the, the, the genesis of Sac Zimbog as a birding area. It was 1963, and a traveling preacher was zipping down uh, Highway 7, which you guys traveled on, and and saw birds from, and at that time, um, you know, there was no four lane a few miles over. Well, this is June, and he's driving along, and all of a sudden he kind of looks out his window and like, oh, that's an owl, uh, it's a hawk owl, and he slams on the brakes, and it wasn't one hawk owl, it was two, three, four, five, six hawk owls. Wow. And it was a family group, yeah, and it was, you know, at that time there was, uh, really no nesting records south of Canada, you know, no nesting records in the lower 48. And this was, I think, one of the, if not the first confirmed um, nesting in the lower 48. Of course, word got out to the Minnesota Ornithologist Union. And, you know, I would, obviously before internet, before almost anything, <laughs> and people started trickling up there. But back, you know, even in the 80s and into the 90s, you'd go up there and you'd really not see anybody. You'd never see anybody with binoculars. You know, it's it was nothing. And then in 2004, uh, things kind of changed because I don't know if you ever heard of this, but I mean, you were just kids then, but um, there was an eruption, a major eruption, the perfect storm of all eruptions for great gray owls, northern hawk owls, boreal owls. And, you know, they're all vole hunters, vole snatchers, as we call them. And it was, you know, voles go in cycles, four-year cycles, roughly. But they have these kind of mega busts, mega booms. And there was a mega bust up in Canada. It was a cold, wet summer. The voles didn't reproduce. And so all these hungry owls started flooding out of Canada into northern Minnesota. And the Saxonbog was kind of the epicenter. You guys have done Christmas bird counts probably, but, you know, Christmas bird count in the Sag Zimbog, same everywhere, 15 mile diameter circle. And in December, 2004, we counted 70, that's seven zero great grays in that circle oh. and two hawk owls, <laughs> 42 hawk owls in the circle on one day. And this is 10 people coming for half a day. We, we, we end at 1 PM and have lunch at the Wilbert cafe. So uh, <laughs> it was amazing. And my personal record was 116 different great grays in a day. And some groups went out and uh, saw over 200 in a day. And this was all over northern Minnesota. They estimate there was 5,000 great grays in the state. And it was, um, you know, nothing I'd like. And, and that really, you know, national 
uh, media picked it up. And that was kind of the start of the modern sex zimbog <laughs> story. But what a, you know, I was guiding back then. And, and you know, you drive around and, and you guys have had guides, you know, and uh, the guides are usually kind of, um, you know, well, let's just say this. We stopped at every great gray for the first nine. <laughs> and then at number 10, my clients were saying, oh, just keep going. I want one on a better perch. And we just go out one that was uh, you know, picture perfect, oh, like an old snag or a wooden fence post or something, you know. So it was it was insane. And that put it on the map. Um, then a festival started um, in in right after that. Um, that's no longer in existence, but that was kind of the genesis of the the modern sex zimbog as as we know it. And um, you know, many more people come now. That that blows me away. So when we were there, I think we ended up with like maybe five great grays over yeah. the over the couple of t- two three days that we were there. Yeah, um, one hawk owl. Um, <laughs> that was like two very, miles. Very off. distant hawk owl. Yeah. But just imagining like those just ridiculous numbers. That is, that's that that's probably as many uh, pine grosbeaks as we saw when we were there. <laughs> and like imagining seeing. That, as many, many, great that many great gray owls as we saw pine grows beaks. That's mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> it it will probably never happen again. It was certainly the perfect storm, but we we will expect future you know eruptions uh, certainly. And you know you know eruptions are kind of a double-edged sword, right? It's if if any bird is moving into your area, they've had to expend energy to get there because there's a lack of food elsewhere. Um, but it's great for us to watch them and most survive because they, most of them find, uh, sources of food, you know, and, and voles is something the bog has in, uh, spades for sure. So, so I feel like the bog is, is such an interesting place because it's, you know, um, I can't remember how many miles, you know, North and South and East and West it all encompasses, but it's, it's just a section of public and private land that, you know, has been designated like loosely to be Zaxim Bog. And there's different for anybody who hasn't been there, hasn't looked at, you know, the website or anything. There's different locations in which um, they recommend that you stop. And, you know, we stopped in some of those places that mm-hmm. are just on the side of the road. And you see a lot of really cool birds just randomly on the side of the road. So how does the Friends of Zaxim Bog support birding in that area with all of those interesting you know components to it the private the local you know public lands and all that yeah it's a great point because it you know a lot of people we get calls oh what time does the gate open at the park right it's and i should explain it's not a park this uh as hannah kind of alluded to there it's it's a a massive area it's about 300 square miles roughly um so massive um but it's a mix of county land, public land, our Friends of Zimbog acreage. Um, you know, there's there's a couple little towns, there's rivers, there's lakes. It's not all bog and, and it's, you know, but massive tracts of black spruce and tamarack bogs for sure. Um, southern end of the boreal forest. But yeah, you're right. It's uh, um, just this crazy mix of, of habitats and, you know, birding there is is um, as you guys experienced is a little different than than some areas. You know, you um, you kind of you know the typical birder day, as you guys noticed, was you get up early, right? Half hour before sunrise, you should be out there looking for great grays. Um, you know, um, switch about nine a.m. to go into feeders. There's all these public feeding stations, and you guys went to Mary Lou's. Um, there's some at just local residents' homes, and they just, you know, oh yeah, drive in my driveway and um, and set up feeders for the public. And you know, Mary Lou's might have evening grosbeaks, and then somebody else's might be getting the pine grosbeaks. Um, so you hit the feeders, swing by the welcome center, um, you know, get uh, the latest bird intel, um, watch the feeders there, use an outhouse. Not many flush toilets in the bog, so they get to use outhouses, uh, buy some souvenirs, and maybe catch a program. But 
then you're back out looking for owls. Um, so it's kind of a, um, a, a crazy different type experience for most people who are used to, you know, going to, to either a park or a refuge. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting. We have a what we call a good neighbor fund because, you know, we can be seen as outsiders sometimes. But I will say that most of the locals have kind of embraced it because it's like bringing new energy to the area and trails and boardwalks, which we have four major boardwalks. And we also have this good neighbor fund, which we um, give grants to local folks if they want to start a, a feeding station in, on their property. It, ha you know, it has to be open to the public. Um, you know, there's parameters, but we're trying to be, you know, good neighbors. Um, we are also, and people don't think of this maybe, we are one of the most accessible birding sites in the country. Um, and people are like, what? That, you know, winter in northern Minnesota? But as you guys experienced, I mean, most of these feeding stations and the owls are right along the roads. And these are lightly traveled, you know, dirt roads covered in snow. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, you know, we're listed on birdability.org if anybody wants to, to check it out. Uh, but we have boardwalks that, you know, wheelchairs or people with, mobility issues can easily just roll up on um you know it, it's certainly easier in the summer and they're open year-round but you know you don't even have to leave your car to see 90 percent of the birds right and are 95 percent i mean you go to the admiral road feeders roll down your window and you know maybe you see a boiled chickadee pine grosbeaks canada jays you know you roll over to mary lou's get um evening grosbeaks and uh you know what what not but you know, most of it is right along the road. So that is pretty cool. And we're also a little different in that we share locations, you know, owl locations. And people say, why do you share owl? Well, it's a little different than most places. These are day hunting owls for the most part. And they're not sleeping. We're not disturbing them. They're hunting. They, they're they boreal birds. And once again, it's crazy, right? The That these boreal birds are so, I don't like to use the word tame, but tolerant of people you know they're doing their stuff and most of them don't care if you're watching or taking pictures and so it's it's a kind of a unique experience and we we know that seeing a great gray is kind of a, a bucket list thing for everybody so you know why would we hide locations doesn't mean we might have a few great grays in our back pocket for ourselves but um mostly we we just get out the map and show people where they've been seen lately we urge people, you know, to come here expecting to see nothing, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, because, you know, then you're never going to be disappointed. And that's a little unrealistic. But what I mean is Saxonbog has a different cast of characters every winter. You know, when you guys came, you know, you had to you know, work for those five great grays, but that's pretty good. Some years they are it's tough to find one so it's not a you know it's not a slam dunk on gray gray or hawk owl by any means you know but you gotta be open to you know enjoying boreal chickadee or a snowshoe hare or some other experiences and, and exploring on your own getting out on foot you know so we support birders in, in giving locations doing education um, um for kind of providing some of those services that they need so you know, we're primarily a land preservation organization with an emphasis on education. So we're not technically a, a birding organization, but certainly that is our our uh, core crowd for sure. Yeah, and and I I kind of wanted to touch on uh, the share, sharing of the um, the great gray owls. Like when, while we were out there, like yeah, people there was a I think it was Telegram was the app that yeah. everyone's using. Um, sharing vastly constantly like oh it's on uh, highway seven oh it's on admiral it's like you you would see just random it would be popping up different locations but like the general everyone out there is they they're respectful of the birds but also even if you didn't want to be respectful of the birds to get from the road to where the bird is at which they may only be 200 feet away from the road but you're chest deep snow like you're not you're not gonna sneak up and scare this bird from what it's doing it's it's busy hunting 
and there's really no feasible way a photographer is going to get closer to the bird than the road, especially in the winter. It's 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 pretty pretty dicey as soon as you leave the the trodden road out there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're just uh they're just protected just by the fact that it's difficult for people to navigate that terrain. <laughs> and this winter has been, you know, not too much snow yet, but um it's you know people are, are still you know being very respectful and they police each other you know i mean um you're not going to get away with much if you know <laughs> other people are standing around <laughs> so, um yeah so it's you know it's and birders in general are just you know the the greatest people the you know the one thing we tell people is just there are local folks here who need to get to work, to school, whatever, you know, watch your rear view mirror if you're, you know, because their burgers are driving slow and, you know, pull over and stop. If somebody's coming behind you faster, you know, I don't care if it's another birder who's hurrying to get somewhere or uh, a local folk, you know, so, you know, be respectful of that. Don't go on private property, you know, don't look with your binoculars towards any house. I mean, these are kind of common sense things and, um, uh, oh, and then park only on one side of the road, you know. So we try and avoid, you know, issues that way because we are on public roads. This is not; these are not park drives, or we don't have rangers, you know. So, and for the most part, it it works well. So let's talk about some of the logistics. So we mentioned winter, but like exactly, maybe what time is the best time to go? Where do you recommend people stay? Like, where do people normally come? you know, through to get there, hit on some of those points. It's a winter and summer location, really, early summer. So I'd say 90% of our visitors come in the winter between mid-December when we open the Welcome Center and mid-March when we close the Welcome Center. That's winter. And, you know, we get seven, roughly 7,000 visitors in that uh, three months, and usually from about 46 different states, uh, you know, uh, half a dozen to a dozen foreign countries. But, but summer, early summer is the other season. Most folks stay in either Duluth, Cloquet, you know, the Iron Range, which is like Hibbing, Eveleth. But you know now with the Airbnb, there's and VRBO, there's stuff popping up. There's one, uh, re, uh, one place to stay in the bug. Alish's accommodations right in the bug. So, you know, all those places are within you know 45 minutes of the bog. So, you know, and sunrise is so late in the in winter anyway. It's not a big hardship to stay where you want. You know, Duluth has every hotel chain and every restaurant you know, chain, um, and a variety of, of, of uh, other options. So yes, a lot of people stay in Duluth. And then, you know, once you get into the bog, as you guys experienced, there's not a lot of services. Um, there's one gas station in that 300 square miles. There's, uh, so you better fill up. Um, there's one flush toilet in that 300 square miles at that same gas station. Oh no, there's two. There's one at the cafe as well. So, there's a cafe in, in Cotton, the Wilbert Cafe, uh, excellent uh, place. And there's a bar in Meadowlands that is only open certain times and a coffee shop now in Meadowlands, um, which might be new. I don't know if you, it was open when you guys were there, but it's open Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And uh, it's kind of a free will thing. You just, you know, throw in the pot what you think and you can get homemade soup on Tuesdays and coffee and pop and, and homemade uh, treats. So that's pretty cool. But otherwise, you know, you're, you're kind of on your own. Now you can hire a guide and, and, you know, we suggest that if somebody's really keen on seeing certain species, because, you know, what are the, what's, you know, the great grail is obviously the king of the show, but Northern Hawk Owl, you know, winter, we're thinking winter now, boreal chickadee, Canada jay, the winter finches, you know, common red pole, hoary red pole, crossbills, you know, we have northern shrikes, rough grouse, sharp-tailed grouse, um, rough-legged hawks, goshawk, and I know I'm missing some, but, you know, you're not going to see a ton of birds, but 
almost everyone you see is going to be pretty darn good mm -hmm. bird. So if you want to get a guide, fine, but you can certainly, you know, anybody can do it themselves, rent a car in Duluth. Um, if you fly in, uh, you can fly into Minneapolis. It's only a three hour drive from Minneapolis. So, you know, you can, you can do it on your own for sure. And there's, you know, our welcome center has so many resources. You can swing in and our naturalists, we have seasonal naturalists there who can, you know, help you find, you know, or places to look anywhere. In, in. <laughs> so it's very birder friendly. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So we've, we've been, we've been talking about winter cause that's, that's, you said 90% of people come and visit in winter, which I'm, I'm glad you reassured us because we, constantly get questions both from listeners and from friends of why did you go to northern minnesota in february but uh how as as someone we're, we're from the pacific northwest we're used to it dumping rain we know how to prepare for four inches of rain in a day but how how do you recommend people coming from texas florida california oregon like these places outside of the heavy snow the zone. heavy snow zone how do, you, how do you recommend they prepare for a trip like this when when they're going out there what sort of things should they expect or should they ensure that they bring with them that they're going to need great question and i get it a lot the first question is will there be great gray owls there when i get there on february 6th my crystal ball is about as broken as anybody else's but just just come just set a date I, you're not going to know the weather, you know, just, just come, just do it. Um, great grays, like, you know, they like weather that we like, they like kind of overcast, uh, light snow, warm for here, which is 20 degrees above zero, um, and calm, you know, that's when you're going to best have your best chance to see great grays, but there's no way you're going to be able to predict that. Um, you know, they don't like sunny, windy 20 below zero weather at all they'll stay in the bog but yes uh you know realize that you don't need a four-wheel drive vehicle i guess when you're planning your trip uh, all-wheel drive is plenty it is dead flat uh, it's an old glacial lake bed from the post-glacial era and you know duluth of course is built on a vertical hillside <laughs> so but if you don't, if you're not expecting a snowstorm, you know, don't worry about it. Just get a rent an all-wheel drive vehicle. Um, it's it's going to be fine. And if you know Minnesota, if there's you know if there's get two inches or two feet, the roads will be clear by the next morning. I mean, we're we're infrastructure is set up for that. So don't worry too much about that. Clothing. Uh, realize you can do a lot of the birding from the road like we talked about. You're not going to ever be too far from your car and your car's heater. Um, if you can, I, I always wear merino wool base layer. You know, that's, I think, one of the most critical things. Merino wool is just a miracle. And you can work up a sweat and it just, you know, it breathes, it evaporates. It doesn't hold um, body odors like certain uh, chemical based uh, on long underwear. So I everything on my base layer is merino wool. And then I, I do layers. I, I have a giant parka, but you're not, you know, if you're coming from Texas, you're not going to go out and buy a, a giant down parka. So just get layers, you know, a couple fleece jackets, maybe a sweater over your base layer sweater, a fleece jacket, maybe another fleece jacket and a, and a shell. And same on your lower half. Um, and, you know, you're good. Um, you, you don't really need to spend the big money on the big winter snow boots. Um, you just plan on your feet being frozen because <laughs> not much you can do. Um, you know, there's not much. You can, you can jump back in your car and warm up your tootsies, but um, that is the hardest thing. Fingers and, and, and feet. Um, um, buy those chemical hand warmers, you know, get those, put them in your gloves. They make them, toe warmers to put those in your toes, uh, in your boots. Um, you know, and here's a tip for photographers. Um, take the lens hood off your camera. That is one of the worst things you can do is keep your big lens hood on your camera lens, especially when you're shooting, you know, going in and out of the car for short bursts or even shooting out of your car window because it traps the warm air 
in your car and then you open your window and point it out the window and that warm air is still stuck in there and you you're shooting through then kind of this fog this heat shimmer almost um and also when you roll down your window all that heat from the car is just billowing out into the sub-zero temperatures and so you're you're, you're never going to get a sharp image unless you try and get it lens way out the window best to take your lens cap off and then get out of the car you know and then shoot um, that's just a little tip um, for the photographers are like why why can't I get why isn't that sharp you know it's it's all about the heat differential and some people drive around with no heat in their car and I, I think that's crazy <laughs> but uh, no you don't need to do that you can you know just plan on getting out or sticking your lens out as far as, as you can but you know don't be you know too freaked out about it treat it as a, an adventure um, you know if you you know this winter is pretty mild so um, but we have been the, the low spot in the lower 48 many times over the years you know down to uh, 50 some below zero Fahrenheit 40 below zero, zero Fahrenheit and so um, you know, plan for the worst, but uh, expect the best or vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to um, know that, uh, that about your feet being cold, because my, I wore um, boots that had uh, steel toe, which mm -hmm. was a terrible idea. And... But it's, it's the only boots that we have. Yeah. Because we don't, we, it's just like, oh, we have work boots that are steel toe and they're relatively warm, but we have a steel toe. Yeah, but that keeps the cold. Yes. Um, the, the other, the other good point, um, that you brought up about the lens, I noticed, I didn't, I hadn't even considered the lens hood, like removing the lens hood is that trapping warm air, but I did notice sticking my camera out of the window that there was no way, like even looking through binoculars, the, the difference, it's, it's like a halocline or a, a thermocline. Like you can't, it gets super murky through that. But the other, the other point about, um, photography is, the weather when, when we were there um it was uh 40, 40 it was 40 below zero and the temperature caused like when we went on a short hike it drains your battery in your camera super fast so just keeping keeping that in mind as well either having extra camera extra camera batteries or finding some way to keep the body of your camera warm ish well, quote unquote warm, not negative 40. Because <laughs> it, it was, I got, I got like maybe 200 photos at the most. And then all of a sudden my camera's telling me, oh, dead battery. So it's, it's, it's yeah. very, very interesting, something to be prepared for. But uh, merino wool is something that I did not have when yeah. we went. We just, uh, we, we wore a lot of the, the poly, poly whatever stuff the, that we have that's just base layer stuff that we. We layered. Yeah, we layered, but. Yeah. Merino wool would be good. Yeah. So we had a listener that asked about wolverines. So do you ever see wolverines and do you have any tips for seeing them? Well, no. Okay. So <laughs> let's, I, uh, the, I think the last official record in Minnesota is 1899. Uh, uh, there are some, every year there's uh, reports. Um, 2008, my friend uh, saw one in Northern Minnesota, but no, not in the bud, but very exciting things. You know, this year, the star of the show has been both the Ermans at the Welcome Center. We put out rib cages um, from deer hunters, and we put them out all over the bug in our feeding stations. And we put them up high so the wolves can't drag them off. But um, we've been getting ermine at the Welcome Center um, and pine marten, up to four different pine marten at the Admiral Road feeders have been there every day. And they're eating um, um, on the on the carcasses and also on peanut butter and, that we put out for the birds and you know so pine martin are, are kind of you know they're adorable I mean I, I think um, you know that has been a huge draw this year but there's also a chance you know you can see snowshoe hare and bobcat timberwolf uh, moose what else porcupine oh. When I was a guide once, I made the mistake. You know, I take porcupines for granted. And they chew on my my Adirondack chairs, and it makes me grumpy. But <laughs> I found out that not everybody thinks like I do. So I had this guy from England, and we were out birding and driving down this back road and looking for blobs and trees, right? You're looking for a great gray owl. And 
saw a blob in a tree and he goes, oh, look at that. And I said, oh, just a porcupine. And he yelled, stop. And I slipped on the brakes and we spent a half hour with that porcupine because that was an exotic mammal to him. And, and I found out to many people. So porcupines are a draw. So now I, I uh, adore porcupines. <laughs> but no wolverines, sadly. But, um, you know, um, you know, it's the whole experience. You know, every big year birder comes here too, really. Every big year birder comes to Saxon Bog. And I just wanted to make this point that we're at the south end of the boreal forest. And so... You know, why is Saxim attracting all these amazing birds and mammals? Well, A, it's it's uh, a mix of habitats. There's vast tracts of bog, but there's also open areas, meadows and hay fields. And so there's kind of this magic mix of habitats that the great grays love. And there's roads running through it, right? And so it's accessible. And I think that's kind of the the magic of Saxim. We've We've recorded 3,500 uh, 3, species in the bog. Um, and that's our head naturalist, Clinton Dexter Nienhaus, has been tallying this. Um, and so we coined the word bog diversity because it is, you know, people think of them as just uh, worthless swamps, um, not birders, but most people like oh, worthless swamp, you know. Um, but 3,500 species. I mean, just think about that. That is I mean, incredibly diverse. And so, you know, we we kind of, you know, promote that as, you know, there's more than birds here. And and some people actually do come in the summer. <laughs> so is there any anything else that people need to know um, about the bog before visiting the bog? Any anything else about the bog that uh, that you think people need to know about it? Um, you know, summer, if you're going to come in summer, usually that those first two weeks in June are best. Um, we have 20 species of nesting warblers. Um, the big draw is Connecticut warbler on, on nesting grounds. Uh, we have golden wing warblers, morning warblers, you know, Cape May, you know, the whole gamut. Uh, people come for Leconte sparrow, sedren, mag, well, magpies. I know people on the eastern half of the continent, um, because of the furthest east population in the lower 48. Um, but, there, you know, the other boreal birds are still here, a lot of them. Um, blackback woodpecker, boreal chickadees, they nest here, sharp-tailed grouse. Um, and uh, so people do come in summer. You know, enjoy the boardwalks. We've got four boardwalks. Get out into the bog, explore, um, check our web site saxzim.org just saxzim.org we have um a bird and wildlife report i just updated it yesterday i guess uh on there and a ton of resources the birding maps that you guys referred to is, is on there and it shows color-coded all the roads um and we're the best place to find these species on there um you know that's a, it's a great resource that way um, so yes, for visiting birders, um, that's kind of my, my tips come, you should come in the winter and the summer really, but, but the, remember that bird song just drops off, um, uh, dramatically in late June. Yeah. So it's kind of those first two weeks in June. You gotta, if you're, if you're a hardcore birder, right. Yeah. So. Well, very cool. You know, that was one of our, well, at least one of my favorite vacations was going to Zaxxon Bog. I, uh, have never experienced the cold like that. Like so many birders, you know, just like zipping around in that area. It was spectacular. And I, I definitely hope we get a chance to visit again mm -hmm. at some point. Um, briefly, what do the friends of Zaxxon Bog see in the future of birding there? Yeah. Like, like I said, we're a land preservation organization. Mainly we've now just, this is breaking news, 25,000 acres of land preserved and protected, you know, this, this is a, uh, you know, that's bigger than three national parks. Um, that's, it's, it's huge. It's, it would be the third largest state park in Minnesota if we conglomerated them, but we're trying to get these, um, we call it the, what it, the owl and warbler critical corridor project. And so we're trying to link now our lands because, you know, 
these birds need vast tracks. Um, we're creating forever homes, basically, for these critters. You know, people ask me, what can I do for birds? From my bias perspective, you can donate to organizations that buy and preserve land. Um, and another aspect of this is sphagnum moss is a major carbon sink, you know, a carbon sequester. And um, I think we, we calculated that our lands now sequester about 3.75 million metric tons of carbon. So, um, you know, that that is huge. Our education, we just built a new education center. I don't, you guys didn't get to see it, but it's the Lois King Education Center. We do programs in person. We do, um, we have a bog bio blitz. Um, where we send experts out in the field with the public, you know, everything from spiders to sedges. Um, we have the Birdathon, World's Coldest Birdathon coming up, uh, end of the week. And, uh, you know, people go out and it's, it's a regular Birdathon, but in the middle of winter. And a lot of teams do it on, on foot or bike or ski or snowshoe. <laughs> we have field trips and speakers. And one big thing I want to say is we, we do, we've kind of, put a lot of emphasis on virtual experiences, you know, like your guys' show brings people along on trips. You know, I, I've been a fan from day one. It's, you know, I think we need more of that. You know, people can live vicariously through us or they can, uh, you know, get motivated to do a trip like this and support conservation. But um, my, my videos are called virtually live. Um, they're on YouTube and our website. We also have our naturalist Clinton's Critters uh, and Clinton's Bog Ventures, other videos. Um, but or you can just go to YouTube and you can type in SAGZIM or Sparky Stensauce um, and you'll find all those videos live on my channel. But the future is just, you know, preserving and protecting more land. Um, you know, we want to create a next generation of birders and conservationists, you know, more stuff with youth and just more education that, that bogs are not only cool, fascinating places for birds, but you know, critical for carbon uh, sequestration and the uh, future of the planet. So, you know, just small goals. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, and we, we hope to see it again, you know, at some point. Yeah. And if, if not uh, again in the winter, at least in the summer at some point. And thank you so much for sitting with us. And, and talking and we'll include uh links to the youtube channel to zach sam is we'll, we'll we'll try to include as many uh links about uh everything you discussed in the show notes for this so if anybody's curious about seeing some of these videos and seeing some of these birds before going out there um we'll you'll be able to do that through these through the links that uh the sparky's put together for us so yeah so thank you so much for your time absolutely thank you guys keep up the good work Awesome. Well, thank you, Sparky, for sitting sitting with us, talking talking to, talking to us about the future and the past and all, all the different things about Zaxenbog and the friends of Zaxenbog and giving us some really interesting stories about Northern Hawk Owl. Yeah. Th those numbers blew my mind. I know. Like, I, we don't do video for the <laughs> podcast, but, like, my eyes were like saucers as he's talking about the numbers of great gray owls, the, the year of eruption that he was talking about, and... Northern hawk owls, like these are numbers that are like mind-boggling in the thousands. Like it's yeah, it's amazing in, in ridiculous. Yeah, so fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, and if you guys want to hear more about when we went to Zaxenbog, um, we we went um, three years ago now, two years ago, um, twenty twenty one. We went February for Valentine's Day. We did an episode that we released at the end of February in twenty twenty one called "Birding Minnesota Zaxenbog." So if you guys want to hear specifically about our adventure again, if you didn't hear it back then, or if you want to go back and re-listen to it, it's, that's how you'd find it back there. I'll put a link in the show notes. We had a great time celebrating Valentine's Day in sub-zero temperatures. It was it was fun. Yeah, fun, fun a, was had by all. Went to a nice brewery for to celebrate, as yeah, we do. It was awesome. Yeah, so thank you, Sparky, and thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Our Facebook page is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Our email 
is Hannah and Eric Gobertin at gmail.com. We've got a TikTok, we've got a blue sky, blah, 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 all those other socials. You can check out our website also, which is www.gobertinpodcast.com. And you can help us share the love of birding with your friends.